Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Run podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. <laughs> oh, you are there, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was a little Dr. Franken for a bit anticipation. Was it? All right. Yeah, it's, it's Halloween, James. Come on, we got we got to got to do a little weird this around here. The Spooks Bomb podcast or some ridiculous farago right no you, you've taken it too far now never mind i <laughs> ignore what i said you're the american this is your this is your holiday although it is seeping into my life as well i have to say my, my kids love this holiday <laughs> I, I do too actually other like the costumes in america and, and the adventuresome and just like the downright inappropriateness of uh, of some adult costumes versus the kids stuff uh, not sure that will ever come back around to to england outside of uh, hindus and stag do's i'm not sure i'll take this seriously as a holiday until it's till it's logged as a paid day off work then, uh, <laughs> and then it counts for me. They, they are real holidays. Free, free candy isn't enough for you. No, not enough. <laughs> right. Anyway, so here we are. Let's not. Let's not are, are we supposed to talk about football or something? Yeah, let's not labour the point about this <clears throat> Halloween. Right. Um, although it was pretty scary. There were some scary events last night. Um, ma- namely, the pitch that uh, Man City <laughs> versus Tottenham was played on. Uh, I really this is this is Dante from Clerks type type shit here. We're not even supposed to be here, man. Why why are you on that pitch right now, Mister Wembley? <laughs> it was a uh, I don't know. I had to resist the temptation to literally tweet solid American football jokes throughout <laughs> the whole match, which I um, like. The best part about the the game last night was the overhead camera. That was really cool. Uh, see seeing actually that Mara's uh, move from the overhead camera that's in the center and you see him just come from like all the way across the pitch in order to to get on the end of that ball that was an amazing run uh, and you wouldn't have seen that that type of angle without the the overhead stuff probably from the NFL uh, rigging uh, yeah you know that's a good point yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, different views of the of the game but um you watched you watched most of the game I watched all of it uh <laughs> I think City were, were good for the win, particularly good for the win. They, Tottenham had fewer shots than any match that I can find. So, so here's the thing: like City weren't even good, and they held Spurs to four shots. Mm. I think that's they were, insane. I think they were good. It's just they, they just didn't didn't kind of really click in the in the in the box and. Um... They were a mess in the first half. Like there were a bunch of balls that that could have been like really dangerous. Mendy was all over the place, and he wasn't the only one. Like you know, it's not just his blame, but he was he was quite rough. Like Kane had a heavy touch that could have been a ball that was easily in on goal by himself. I, I you know, that that was one of the worst matches that I've seen City play, and they still just utterly suffocated Spurs. Mm, yeah, I mean, the, the Spurs just got nothing in the final third until. Literally about 15 minutes ago. The subs changed the game, which is interesting because um, De Bruyne came on looked a little bit rusty. Harry Winks came on. I mean, I was, I was a bit mean about Harry Winks last week and he looked, looked <laughs> neat and tidy and zipping past players and stuff last night. And then, of course, Ali and Eriksen came on and it was like, oh my God, Spurs are finishing a game with, you know, you're not looking to the bench for oh, who's there. It was a case of there's some good players on the bench, get them on the pitch and they could have snuck an equaliser, probably an undeserved equaliser, but it wasn't to be. But uh, yeah, City go marching on, and um, I think that's allegedly they're pretty good. Well, <laughs> everyone keeps coming back to this, don't we? I mean, Mike had an article on the site where he pretty much you know spelled out City, and it's it, it is what it is. I mean, going away to Tottenham and keeping them down to four shots, regardless of the context of um, other events and heavy touches, Mustafa running into the box and not knowing what to do, and things like that. It's it's impressive still, and. Um, 
yeah, what can we say about them? I, there was a little aside that came out of that game, I think it was in commentary, something about Aguero. I mean, last week we talked about how it would be nice if he had a... Well, I talked about how it would be nice if he had a, a season for the ages, and there was something about saying that he's... First time in a few years, he's not he's not carrying pain or something. I think it was in his knee or his ankle, I can't remember what he said, but that would be, you know, <laughs> how to how to make the leap. And, be and according fit. to the data, he is having a season for the ages at the moment. Really is, yeah. So, um... Yeah, watch out, world! If uh, if Aguero's gonna, you know, happily just zip around the pitch and not, you know, not need his minutes managed or you know just the general irritation of being in pain. One totally irritating thing about that game last night, and uh, I'm bringing up the the viz on the screen. So I, I I ran out of time. It won't go up today. It'll probably go up on the site tomorrow. But the, there's a little piece about some ways that teams can and should use data to, to get tactical advantages. And one of those things is talking about cities outswinging corners and how how easy it is to, to, to mark them effectively, really. And actually, even this year, we see, we see mostly um, an outswinging pattern. And last night, like literally last night, all of a sudden they're taking in-swingers. Like, come on. I, I've been thinking about this, this article for like a month and, and we have like this awesomely clear data to, to show it. And then all of a sudden they're taking in-swingers. Like, God damn it. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's the way it goes. Um, we, could, uh, we could flip quite quickly cause to the Arsenal game actually because I'm, I think you tweeted something about Arsenal's corners. I don't know, maybe you missed it, but... The, about them not taking any swings because they took this awful corner in which Torreira literally just stubbed it to, uh, well, I just passed it to Ozil, who attempted a cross with his left foot, um, an in-swinging cross. And it just went out, it went out to about the 30, 40 yard line. It just kind of, it was absolutely horrific. <laughs> and Arsenal's, Arsenal's set pieces don't look sharp at all at the moment. Well, they, they, they were don't. pretty good last year. And <clears throat> I heard, behind the scenes that they were actually spending some time on them. And Ozil's delivery is excellent. And uh, and yeah, Torreira's taking out swinging corners when you've got Ozil on the pitch. I, I made a tweet about this. <laughs> Very frustrated by by that element. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I don't know. Like the We're seeing... You know, Mo's got a piece on the site uh, yesterday, I think, talking about Chelsea stuff. Uh, Chelsea's set pieces, effectively. And like we know that, that Sarri does some stuff... Um, as I said, I don't think that, especially in years past, he hasn't been super successful with it. But Chelsea are having some good success. Uh, and it might be that he worked on different things. Like you actually have to train these things in order for them to, to come together and gel. A lot of them are timing based. Um, so you see like Chelsea having some success in that area. City had wide free kick success last year, but their corner stuff was, was a mess consistently. Arsenal actually looked pretty good on corners last year. This year, they look like a mess. Like Changed coaches, obviously, possibly changed emphasis. You know, how much time do you have to work on that while you're trying to get the defensive scheme set up? It's always a, it, there's a balance inside of it. But, you know, that for teams that want to invest in this, you're basically creating really cheap discount goals. Uh, and you don't have to, you know, the, People talk about, oh, you need big players, you need this, you need that. Look, when you have the best delivery in the world and you have some, you know, three or four guys you could potentially get mismatches with, like that's enough. And a lot of these top teams actually do have that. They don't need to restructure their their uh, their squads in order to pull that um, pull it off. So I don't know. It's a <clears throat> it's a type of thing where you can get amazing value, and people are just scratching the surface on what can be done. You know, we do a consultancy in this area where we can really fast forward the production and we teach people 
how to do this. Like we don't run courses on it because making a course that's effective would just cost us a lot of money in the long term because like we're spreading the knowledge around and it's super valuable. And I know, you know, people think that we're altruistic, but we are still running a business. But yeah, the investment in set pieces takes time and it takes know-how. Some clubs are doing it and still having some success. Other clubs just seem to not pay any attention whatsoever still. And it's it's a weird weird thing to be. Yeah, and like you say, the the difference between, you know, literally who who's managing a club, mate, deciding on whether or not it's a focus. And, you know, I think if you if you I looked at it the other day, look brought up the kind of um the Premier League kind of XG via set pieces kind of stats. And Chelsea were heavily ahead of the rest of them. But really, you look at it and you see so you think maybe four or five of these teams have have, have so far generated a decent volume of their expected goals via set pieces. And then the rest of them, it's a bit of a mulch. I mean, obviously, you know, there's variation around, you know, just the, whether you actually get success out of these things. But um, Liverpool have five set piece goals and Klopp came out openly this week saying we spend a lot of time on them. And part of it might be because they were weak in that area previously. But this is, you know, Liverpool, one of the more innovative clubs out there, admitting that they spend a lot of time and this is their focus. Now, obviously, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> like, don't don't admit it. But I think the story that they, they hired Thomas Gronomark, who was the, the long throw coach, uh, and now he, he self-proclaimed, you know, clever, fast throwing coach uh, at, at Liverpool. They have a slightly different focus, at least for this season. But uh, he, we know him from, from Denmark and Michelin. Uh, so he's there. So, like, you can't, like, fully deny it. But obviously, Liverpool have gotten pretty good. They lead the league in this area alongside uh, Manchester United. And Spurs are back scoring set-piece goals again. Kind of interesting. City have mm-hmm. only four. But like, if you do it on a, on a per-opportunity basis, the big clubs should be the ones that lead in this area. And they very rarely are. The big clubs have more opportunities. They get more fouls in around the box. They take more corners. They should be the ones that dominate in these stats. And, and often, like they're not. That's not how it works out. Yeah, I'm just looking. I've got a brought up my chart here it's like you know expected goals from set pieces Burnley not looking very good Palace not looking very good what are you doing guys <laughs> not <laughs> getting in the final third <laughs> <laughs> you could do with a little bit of this yeah I mean that's the thing Burnley's got their profile is, is looking ugly uh, another pumping at the weekend at the hands of Chelsea I mean they won't be playing teams that good every every week but they, they are in their bad numbers and bad results stage at the moment. Which Still may or may not, not at last. the bottom of the table, James. They're <laughs> doing fine. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. It's it's a it's a miracle. Speaking of say. doing fine, though, like we should talk about the other team that played last night, who you know a thing about. I, I feel like I should congratulate you on the Delhi Alley extension that was announced today. He'll be yeah. around, uh, possibly anyway. He's got an extension to twenty twenty four and. Um, you know, one of the best young English players out there that you could have, like super marketable, possibly the most marketable young player in England right now. <clears throat> yep, and he's going to stay at Tottenham forever. There's no, there's no way, there's no way that he could possibly come out of this deal now and get transferred at any point. Wait, did the contract extension involve him body swapping with Harry Kane? <laughs> one can but hope that the future of Tottenham is uh, at least vaguely stable. But certainly good news on, on the back of a variety of... Uh, we're gonna. Uh, this club's gonna have to borrow. borrow but there, there's another piece of news out there that may or may not impact you, which is that Real Madrid seem to have fired their coach this week. And uh, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but some some guy named uh, Mauricio Pol. I don't know. He's he's pretty high up on the list usually. And interestingly, he's making some noises. 
about, you know, not being entirely happy. Yeah, these are just normal frustrations. I've been here before. I don't think there's anything anything to... Uh, really? There's, there's you, no story you... to write here, and certainly not now. I think uh, he's not the type of guy that was going to want to... He's not the kind of guy that's going to want to be parachuted into a club in the middle of a season. Not when he's got everything so set, set up uh, to his own liking apart from stadium and transfers obviously. i was like maybe that's true but he's never had a blank transfer window that he had to win, live through and he's never had to play behind the nfl at a stadium that he's not even supposed to be at because they don't have a home stadium so you know it's not just a frictionless relationship at the moment yeah but it, it, it'll eventually kind of settle itself down and and yeah i mean i i genuinely think that he he's at least committed to a, probably a season after they get to the stadium Maybe more. I mean, that, he's, he's, he's a reasonably honourable guy. So, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's just going to dis- disappear and, and alienate a, um, a club that he's, he's spent a lot of time and, and work into. And that's that's the thing. I mean, he's it's, it's not quite at, you know, like Wenger or Ferguson stage where, you know, that you are... You certainly you make him the, sound like that. ...are the club. But <laughs> he's... Uh, yeah, he's he's got a lot of uh, a lot of kind of general work satisfaction, I would say, in how he... How he operates, so I don't, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. But we, yeah, we've got we've got Madrid on our list, um, and it is a, a perplexing um, scenario they've got there. I mean, losing four games out of five and then getting absolutely hammered in the Clasico is just <laughs> recipe for uh, recipe for departure. And the manager has gone. Should we break it down? Should we talk <laughs> about the problems. <laughs> There's a lot of problems. Go on, you go first. Well, I mean. It's just the hiring of the coach and the way that it was done like started out as a problem. <laughs> mm. So like Lopetegui in Spain, uh, <clears throat> they hire him before then. They yank him basically out from under Spain. Spain gets deeply frustrated and, and angry by this, like basically fires him for the World Cup. He somehow ends up basically tanking Spain's World Cup because you know, they didn't have a, a coach that they worked with before. Like that's not a good set of circumstances to start your reign at the biggest pressure cooker in football. No, it really isn't. <clears throat> and, and then, a, and well, you're you're replacing God, basically. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you you have to replace Zidane, who has magically uh, just guided the the players off the back of his amazing personality, uh, not done any alleged tactical work with them, and they just win, you know, three three Champions Leagues in a row. And you've also just lost one of the all-time great strikers, who is under a legal cloud. So <laughs> we'll not be too effusive about him. But you've lost one of the all-time great strikers from your side, and you've brought Mariano back from Lyon. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't reload the squad. Um, that you're coming on the back of like a very charismatic man manager. Uh, you need to instill some more, probably. Um, tactical elements about it. Anybody who goes into Madrid and like wants to instill a lot of tactical work is going to have an uphill battle. <clears throat> they just, they, you know, these these are huge player personalities as players. They they probably have like very strongly their own ideas. They're aging like that. They've got some young players that are really good, and they've got some older, you know, super duper stars that are at the towards the end of their peak. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. Like it, it feels like whoever took over that job initially was set up to fail. And then the next person that takes over now, you know, also potentially set up to fail. I mean, what's your best, best case scenario here? Um, 
yeah, it's really hard to work out. I mean, young players, the good young players that they've got, they loan two of them out. Hakimi and Kovacic. Kovacic's not not old at all. <laughs> I don't know why they just loan their depth out. It just seemed seemed weird to do that. But you're right. It's it's you know Benzema's not the, doesn't seem to be the player he once was. Um, so you're kind of lacking in a bit of goal power there. You feel like you you feel like they, you know, if if even if they were you know they should have replaced Ronaldo, they should have brought someone in to compete, like you know like for like with Benzema as the kind of main forward. Um, Bale's obviously going to be milling around, uh, you know, close close by. But I don't know. It just Marcelo's been irritating me when I've watched him this season. Like he's, I mean, he's just ever, ever so gifted and he's brilliant going forward, but. It feels like <laughs> it feels like he's kind of switched off towards like any ideas towards defensive duties, and maybe he has been for a while. I mean, he's Marcelo for crying out loud, but it just feels like that team just didn't have um, I don't know. It just didn't have the structure that it needed, and it never it never had fantastic structure, even when it was wildly successful. So I guess that's possibly part of the problem: trying to impose structure over something that's a little bit a little bit jazz. It succeeded um, almost despite or because of the fact they didn't have structure. A little bit jazz is a great description for it. <laughs> uh, you know, three, three, three Champions League off of jazz. <laughs> That's serious. La Liga is insane this year, though. That table is is absolute madness at the moment. Yeah, it's 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 some seriously weird kind of uh, balance going on. And I think I have hinted on this before, but um, you know, at the moment. <laughs> it just—I mean, Barcelona probably the best team, because uh, but it's close for us. It's—it's it's like not a big big gap between yeah. the top four XG teams. There's some some decent gaps in the table, but like Barcelona actually. So this year feels like the year that that Leicester won the Premier League. You've got Messi with a, a medium-term injury. You've got Real Madrid losing Ronaldo and not replacing him. You've got some coaching strife. Like Barcelona are not Barcelona. They they're giving up over like 1.1 goals. Uh, uh, expected goals per 90 is what it looks like. So like not great defensively. And then they're not even over two in XG at the moment. Uh, and Espanyol actually looked pretty good. Now you know that can change in a hurry because you may not have played the very best teams, but nevertheless. Um, Sevilla's there. Atletico don't look great. Again, they're like fine, but not super dominant. Valencia have been like weirdly unlucky and <clears throat> yeah, just can't win a game. Just bunch of draws. So yeah, it's it feels like it's almost there for the taking. And Real Madrid, who haven't had many titles in the the Messi era under Barcelona, at least in the league, are are floundering more than they ever have. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. They still look like on the numbers like they should should right themselves, but. You know what? What can you say? The the coach has gone. No, no win in five. You know, there's there's a lot of fixing to be done before they, you know, before they come out the other side of this. They could do with a couple of <laughs> confidence boosting wins. Who says that about Madrid? But it feels like they're almost <laughs> they're almost hit that point now. It's 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 bizarre. But that's that's an interesting point you say about like the, the Leicester season. It was the one season where all the big teams kind of shot the bed and didn't really get their stuff together. Apart from maybe Tottenham, but then Tottenham were kind of like they were still on the upward tra- trajectory there. And um, but you know for, for that season, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, um, United, you know none of them were Chelsea. None of them were really at the races, and all missed a huge opportunity to 
to nip a title and you know Leicester Leicester pinched it and yeah maybe it could be just one of these odd seasons where we're, we're basically seeing a kind of start of a transition I personally think Barcelona will just kind of settle down and ease forward um, but not be dominant like they have been and probably not in the Champions League now obviously we've said that and you know Messi will have an amazing run and he's had a, his legs will have a nice break so he'll, he'll come back refreshed but we'll see yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting point. Like you know, the couple of players like um, you know Deli Ali's had a few weeks out um, with injury, and after you know after a long summer for some of these players, is possibly obviously the nature of the injury is is highly relevant. But you know, the Bruyne as well, possibly you know a few weeks off and recuperating, long term might not have been the worst idea for them. Um, you know, going into a long season be on the lookout for what is actually a really cool story about Madrid's sort of new interim coach. Uh, is it Santi Solari, something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, he, yeah. he has like an amazing journey to where he was as a professional footballer. And now he's got kind of a cool coaching. I won't spoil it because it's not really my story to tell, but there are some pretty good stories about him out there that are fun to read. So if you run mm-hmm. across them, give him, give him a little bit of time. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just remember, I remember him being part of the Madrid like some years ago back when, uh, the first kind of Galactico era, he was one of the kind of one of their soldiers kind of thing. He, he was uh, yeah, but like in a really non-traditional path. He, I think, he was like in a semi-pro uh, U.S. football briefly and/or American University really? football. Yeah, <laughs> like it's kind of kind of intriguing. And going um, back that far as well, when like football really was uh, significantly small, <laughs> I imagine in America back then. Yeah. Right, where else have we got to go to now? Did we did we did we mention Arsenal? I wanted to mention more about Arsenal. Oh, sorry, I think I inadvertently skipped over the two-two draw this weekend. Go ahead. Yeah, because that was like last week when we had the Meza Özil show, which we just watched. We just watched on on Monday, and then it felt like back to this this funny Arsenal that we've got <laughs> at the moment. Uh, seven shots total uh, away at Palace, a two-two draw just creating nothing uh Ozil sulkily subbed off after creating nothing and we still don't know what what kind of team we've got here I mean Arsenal took seven shots at the weekend Tottenham just took four shots you know these are two teams that have run hot at the at the start of the season no football in North London is scintillating right now <laughs> and it's like yeah this this weekend for you know for reasons has, has shone a light on you know maybe all isn't quite as as rosy as it could be. Um, yeah, still, James still and I both begrudgingly odd. discussing our own teams right now. <laughs> <Is> it, <laughs> neither, uh... <laughs> neither of which is, is uh, setting the world on fire. But yeah, I, mean, I was I was kind of pleased that Palace got got something out of that game, even though it took two penalties. It just felt like they they were they were generally the better team. Yeah. Uh, for much of the game, and obviously a miracle free kick and a and a, a little poachy goal for Aubameyang, who seems to have. His numbers have perked right up uh, as yeah, yeah. the weeks have worn on. He, I don't know if he's like sort of figuring out how to find space in the system or, or whatever, but he's, he's back to getting good chances. Arsenal's defensive side is, is still the issue, right? They've given up 13 goals, which is more than Bournemouth, which is more than Watford, um, more than Wolves. And uh, like I kind of flagged up a couple of things. Like I'll tweet during games that I'm watching often and, and you know, pop up uh, tactical observations like one is that their defense will often over pursue on a on a switch and then they're really open for a switch back and that happened a couple times in that that palace game where uh it went to the right hand side you see everybody get sucked to the ball and then it just switched right back and and the guys were open 
uh, in pretty good real estate and had to make a, a desperate recovery or two. The other thing is just the the absolute lack of defensive left-sided players right now. Mm. Um, <clears throat> like there's a we have a, a defensive activity map that we look at that normalizes versus league average and uh, and the. The, the, the sort of classic example that we've put out is the one of City, where you see them very heavily, you know, toward the right-hand side of the pitch, which is the, their own attacking, the goal that they're trying to go after, and then very blue towards the left-hand side of the pitch, which would be their own goal. So they, they spend a lot of time defending and pressing teams high and keeping them penned in. Arsenal um, are a bit mixed there, but they just have, like, all blue down the left-hand side. And part of that is, like, the Monreal sort of zone of death that, that Marek Kwiatkowski uh, termed ages ago is uh, is gone. He hasn't been playing much. Um, uh, Kolasinic is not, also not uh, there. And so Shaka was playing left-back this weekend. And I don't know if you know the Premier League has a lot of very fast athletes as wide forwards. Granit Shaka is not fast. <laughs> yeah, he's. It, I I can't ever have pictured him as a as a wide player in in any format whatsoever. Apart, you know, the literally the one thing that you could say like, why why is he playing left back? Is he is left footed? He has a left foot, <laughs> and he's very good left foot. But uh, he scored with it. It was a great free kick, just pinged it in off the inside of the post. But uh, you you prefer to have him do that more for midfield most of the time and not not be out there one-on-one and it's kind of surprising that Arsenal like just didn't overload him with Zaha constantly Zaha got the the penalty there off of a a, a soft call at the end of the game mm. when when uh Crystal Palace drew but the, shit the shit like this never works right it's it's naive to think that you can stick your central midfielder in at left back and there'd be no consequences ever um, unless you're Pep Guardiola, yeah, unless you're Man City. But I've got vague memories of oh, I can't remember. I think it was Hyungmin Song played as kind of like a right, was it a right wing back for Tottenham once, possibly against Man City, possibly in a biggish game. It was a kind of uh, you know an idea that that didn't really work out, and because obviously he's not a right wing back at all. Obviously, you know, like Zach, Zach isn't a isn't a left back at all. He got completely hung out to dry at one point, and it was like yeah. If there was a right wing back or a right back playing in that position, they would have understood their role, and he clearly hasn't. So, yeah, it's. I mean, I understand that you know that the lacking in that position, but it's um, yeah, it's 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 an odd fix at, at the very least. Um, yeah, where are they? What happened? Why have, why have Arsenal got no left backs? What's going on? Injuries. <laughs> Nothing coming out of the academy there. <laughs> Who would normally play? Monreal would normally play, I guess. And yeah. Who else? Who else? Are they? I can't even think. Zayad Kolasinic would be. Oh, of course. Way. Is he, is he uh, out all season? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think he's been injured somewhat. Uh, Maitland Niles has played like as a utility yeah. fullback from time to time. Yeah, yeah, just uh, bad luck. Yeah, it's not a. Uh, most clubs don't have a, a deep left back slot anyway. <laughs> most clubs pretty... don't have a fourth string left back. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Not something top of the shelf in this. We need to we need to back up our left backs, but yeah. Well, it's they're in short supply, like the inherently limited left-footed left back. Sometimes you play a right footer over there if you have to. Uh, Nikos actually likes uh, Nikos is our, our tactical and technical scout, but he he likes an inverted fullback. I'm like, eh, sometimes. Um, so before we move on to James's done the the big five stats for player stats across Europe, uh, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about, which was something that happened Brighton Wolves this weekend, and this is kind of people have been 
there, there are things that happen in different sports. And in NFL, like one of the, the big sort of statistical fighting points, like the hill that you're willing to die on, is that teams should be going for it on fourth down way more often than they do. They leave a lot of potential points and win probability on the table because of this. This Brighton game is my going for it on fourth down. Like this is my hill. This is my, my strategic <laughs> hill that drives me insane. And actually there's a lot of good research that says that when coaches do this, it's just wrong. But what happened in the Brighton game is they got their goal right around the midpoint of, of the match. And then they bunkered and they had no other shots. Yep. Not a single one. And you are just asking to draw or lose if you do that. And it's not game states. It's actually not understanding the swing in probability if you get a second goal and end up being 2-0 up versus you try and hold on to that and make sure that the other team... Because basically, most teams are set up, your defense is set up initially to not give up any goals. And you know, someone like Manchester City, like they've had an amazing number of clean sheets. Liverpool as well. Brighton, to a lesser extent, they've given up 13 goals in 10, 10 matches. Like that's not great. But even so, like what what is adding the additional layer of protectiveness there? Like how, how much effective defending do you do better when you don't attack at all? And the answer is usually that you leave, you don't. You, you give up more points uh, and more win expectations by trying to defend like that than if you played your normal game um, that you got you a lead in the first place. <clears throat> yeah, having not watched this game, it's just, there's, there's all, <laughs> I'm slightly inclined to wonder, are Wolves just better than Brighton? <laughs> and then just battered on the battered on the door for the rest of the game. But they did, they took, <clears throat> they took 16 shots that half. <clears throat> and uh, one, I think one or two were small, reasonably big expectations. So, but yeah, I, 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 horrible as if it in any way strategical. I, I completely agree. It's, it's a horrible way of doing things. You, you don't want to be trying to just hang on. Um, and coaches do this all the time. They think that it's the right thing to do. It's actually common wisdom that says you know in in situations where you're not a huge high scoring team necessarily. Like if we just try and protect the goal, like we'll be better off. That's actually not the case. Uh, there's just so much research out there. A lot of it in gambling research that isn't public, but pretty significant there. And it's a coaching trade as well. Um, we look at it and it actually creates some really weird problems in gambling research because you get things that don't operate how you expect them to. There's like this incredible amount of inertia between teams as they get later on in the game and they're drawing. Um, and then there's the other bit where like teams draw more than they should. So there's partially the inertia, but then there's this other element where like one team stops attacking to try and protect the goal and the other one continues to attack and they, they think that they're giving up, you know, worse chances. Arsenal were one of the few teams sort of historically under, under Wenger that didn't really change with a lead or without, uh, Manchester United under Fergie. Like you can think of how many times that, that United would just end up, um, you know, just scoring a whole bunch of goals. Right. And that's because they continue to attack. And actually, there was a when we talk to coaches and we, we talk about this phenomenon, um, it, it goes both ways too. Uh, Giggs was quoted at one point as saying, like, whenever we went down a goal at Old Trafford, like, we weren't worried because, you know, we averaged like two and a half goals. I mean, he didn't say that. He didn't say average two and a half goals. This is Giggs. <laughs> but uh, basically, they averaged like, you know, two to three goals a game at Old Trafford. So like one nil down didn't mean anything. They were still going to go and score their goals almost all of the time. And that's that's kind of how they piloted under Fergie for ages. Uh, and that is the right way to do it. Like continue to attack, 
try and open up the two goal lead. And you and I actually talked about recently, like getting bored uh, when you watch certain teams after they get the second goal, not the first goal, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, second yeah. goal. Managing situations because, like you know, you you, you can with that with the arm's length two nil isn't the most dangerous of scoring football, far from it. But um, funny enough, I've got a, a small anecdote which is a slightly different situation. But the Tottenham PSG game, uh, sorry PSV game last week, um, Tottenham were two one up. Laurie's got sent off about fifteen minutes to go, I think, and immediately Tottenham just played to hold the two one. Like you know, everything they did, like slow, slowed everything down, slow throw-ins, you know, keep it, playing it completely cute, and uh, PSV obviously wanted to get back in the game while they're out of the Champions League, you know, tried to hit them hard, and did score. And the funny thing was, as soon as <laughs> as soon as um, PSV scored, and the whole dynamic of the match changed, Tottenham, even with ten men with uh, minutes to go, literally bombarded PSV um, because they were just clearly the better team on the day even with 10 men they had the ability to create opportunities but it was just fascinating that um you know the, the kind of artificial scenario that is built by uh, the 10 v 11 situation and and the mentality of just like right let's just hold our score line um which does make some sense as well i mean you know you're, you're a man down but you know as soon as it went 2-2 it was like yeah tottenham can actually still overpower um to some degree uh, psv and if, you, if you do the math on that game, it's actually pretty intriguing. So, like, when did the, the red card happen? When did the Lurries happen? It was about 75 minutes, I think. Okay, so if we assume that uh, a red card is worth 0.8 of a goal, and there are reasons why we're assuming this, I'm not going to go into it. But if we assume that, then 0.8 times 0.15 is the actual goal difference that you're giving up um, by having the... The, the the lesser player the player out mm. but like i'm sure that spurs would have been like one goal favorites in that match yeah and you know watching the match they you know they, they, they was probably <laughs> spurs played really well i mean <laughs> did they or psv just let them play well it's you know it's a they, it's spurs useful. are just much better than psv that's, that's my yeah apparently and it's useful to understand probability when it comes to strategic situations because often you end up over over uh, assuming something or thinking it's more dangerous than it actually is or sometimes you end up under assuming something and, and thinking it's less dangerous than it is when you should be worried about it but in these cases you know like spurs just continue to play as normal uh, i don't mind kind of milking the clock is what we call it in the u.s like making sure that you take more time off of it but mm. like you know don't completely change strategy and and be afraid of the other team when like that's not how it, it works we see plenty of times where the elite teams go down a man and then just still end up crushing teams like it happens people forget it though yeah basically psb hadn't had a shot in the second half and then uh tottenham had, had nine or ten lorries get sent off psv had five shots in those last 10 minutes or so and then as soon as once they equalised, Tottenham created something. But yeah, it's it's just one of these funny funny scenarios where like in game like ever everything changed on a on a moment and you know, as you would expect. But you know, it was it was quite evident that um Tottenham could have could, if they'd have chosen to, uh, played a little more aggressively. Um but I'm not gonna rag them out too much for trying to hold on with ten men. But anyway. Right, what what are we on to now? We got some <laughs> my my famous charts. I James a... <laughs> James likes to play with numbers, people. Apparently, I'm, I'm creating content. Ted. I mean, 
we've got a weekly podcast to fill up. We've got to talk, we've got to find these nuanced topics to look at. So what did we do last last week? We had a few look at a few lists and players uh, players that stood out in the Premier League, and now I've, I've widened it out to to Europe. So who took your eye on my my variety of charts that I gave you? Well, I like the deep progressions as a as a stat. I always think it's intriguing to find out guys that are moving the ball in. And we talked last week about. Uh, Jorginho and how he was, you know, moving the ball into the the final third, uh, you know, very effectively. Um, but he wasn't then moving it on toward the goal. Like his his job is to give it to the guys who then go on and do do awesome things. Uh, but the leader in Europe right now is is kind of a long term leader, and in fact, the number one and number two are almost exactly who you who you would expect. Uh, Thiago Al- Alcantara, when he plays, is typically awesome. Mm-hmm. And he's the, the very fractional, like the tiniest fraction leader over Cruz and Jorginho. And then the third guy, who's like even more fractionally behind, or sorry, the, technically the fourth guy, is Ivan Rakitic. Yeah, who, uh, that's interesting that, because I think there was a little bit of an idea that he was he was quiet after the World Cup, or he was tired and stuff like that. And, you know, you just a quick run through some of his stats and stuff, and it's like, man, he's, he's seems to be performing pretty readily. Uh you know, obviously, there's more nuance beyond just this, his statistics, but you know, not obviously something to worry about there. Fifth, fifth place is a guy uh, we've probably heard of named Leo Messi. Um, sixth place is interesting. Brozovic from Inter's there. Spalletti's teams are really interesting to watch, and they they play a fun style of football. Uh, it looks like Brozo is the one that's kind of controlling the the entries there. Neymar uh, next on the list. Luka Modric, and then um, a, a Nico's favorite, Remo Freuler. At Atalanta, yeah, he's he's come up with a couple of little things like this. In fact, I'm intrigued by Atalanta having now looked at this, these lists, uh, see what they're going on, what's going on with those guys. So those are deep progressions. Um, you know, passes in the final third. We've got Aiden Hazard and Messi leading the way. Um, David Silva, Coutinho, Rakitic again. Benjamin Mendy, uh, the first fullback, kind of doing something like that, moving right along. The open play key passes. Now, why do we do open play, James? Well, because you know, we want to see who's doing making a difference in in open play. Really, you know, set pieces. It's just a different thing. You know, you've, you've, you've just taken all the corners. Yeah. So, and that's there's <laughs> my man Marcelo in that towards the top of that list. So that's your that's Real Madrid's fullback, <laughs> who's uh, ranks number three in the open play key pass chart that we've got here. So Silva's one, Leo Messi <laughs> two, and open play key passes Marcelo. Chahanoglu is fourth. Um, Rodrigo de Paul at Udinese is fifth. Uh, Aiden Hazard sixth. Memphis, yay Memphis. Uh, Leon seventh. Usman, uh, Dimitri Paye open play slightly unexpected there because like he's known more as a set piece expert. But yeah, he, he, uh, he, he does. I think he's a bit of an all rounder in that case. He's just highly creative. But um, yeah, good to see old Memphis uh, cropping up in these kind of charts again because uh, old Memphis, old Memphis, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he tends to. That's the thing. He's you know his time at Leon has, has, has been perfectly acceptable from a from a numbers perspective at least, and you know some of his performances have been really good as well. The next two on there are are Insigne at Napoli and then Suso. Now, those of you who have eagle ears and pay attention to Syria might notice that there are two Milan players in that. Uh, one of the issues at Milan is they'll take a lot of shots, but they're from very long range and wide. So. They're, they're creating some, some high-volume fluff stuff, which is one reason why we would say open pay key passes are interesting, but what is the expected assist or expected XG assisted? Yeah, I did have that chart somewhere. But I know you do. I'm just explaining to the people, my man. 
<laughs> What's a, this? This was a good one for all you messy lovers. Open play passes into the box. Messi away and clear, leading that chart. Yeah, he's apparently pretty good. Marcelo's second now. <laughs> <laughs> Marcelo, exactly. The guy playing right, left wing. You know, he's not. He's not a fullback. Buy a fullback, Madrid. <laughs> well, Marcelo's second, and the fourth guy on the list is who? <laughs> Big carrying trip here. Shut up, James. I think that's that's what they're telling you here. <laughs> yeah, he's uh again. Isn't isn't? I mean, you've got two fullbacks that are like creating a lot of. Um, attacking kind of contribution high up the pitch and I, I think both of them have issues with um their kind of defensive responsibilities well and... mendy does too right mendy was yeah. on this list for for other stuff and and also let's go to some stats bomb special uh stats that we only we can provide in pressure regains so this is when uh someone presses the ball and then their team regains it within x period of time which i believe is coded as five seconds but i'm not 100 percent. could be two. Yeah, yeah i think it is yeah yeah, so that's an interesting list of players. This are we gonna we're gonna mention the guy, the guy that keeps popping up on all these lists who's kind of kind of surprised me because uh, he's reasonably high on this one. There's a guy called Leandro Bittencourt. Leonardo. Hoffman. Sorry, Leonardo. My bad. Yeah, um, he's on like three or four of these lists. He's on, and it's interesting because I try to work out what's going on with with him at Hoffenheim, and he keeps getting pu- pulled off at about the hour mark or fifty minutes or something. And so you think, well, okay, so what's going on here? And uh, we talked about it briefly beforehand, and you had an idea that maybe, maybe there's a there's a democracy in Hoffenheim, and uh, their coach is t- t- telling uh, Leonardo to put in his best hour that he can give him, which seems to be borne out in the stats, and then uh, someone else is coming on and taking over, which is an interesting idea because, you know, if, if, you're, if you know you're going to play an hour of football instead of 90 minutes of football... And there's, you know, it's a strategic idea to do that. Then, yeah, you could literally run yourself into the ground for an hour, uh, and not have to worry about the last, you know, the other half an hour that you might save yourself for. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's actually like a positive strategy, and it's it's quite funny. You you just you hear the commentators be like, oh, he he doesn't he can't play full nineties. He doesn't have a full match in him. I'm like, man, that that's actually smart strategy in a lot of cases, especially if you have like a reasonably deep bench. Uh, it's not necessarily a choice. It also it keeps your morale higher because if it, you know you tell a striker, hey, you're not starting, but like you're gonna go on and get a good 35 minutes, and like you know you, you get to play, face tired legs too, so you're actually more likely to score and go out and work your socks off. Like that's not actually not so bad. Um, Bittencourt's an interesting one though because like it actually caused me flashbacks when when I saw his name. He was one of the very early young player scouting model. Uh, names that popped up in Germany. So it was him and uh, Jonas Hoffman, both of whom were in and around Dortmund for a bit, uh, both of whom also had some some injury issues. But they look like a really good young crop of, of guys that, that were at Dortmund briefly. Uh, Bittencourt's now sort of he, he kind of moved different positions around too, played some wide, um, like almost a wing back type player, uh, or maybe like a, a wide a traditional winger in a 4 4 2. Uh, but yeah, like a hard worker and and Hoffenheim, um, yeah, Hoffenheim is a is a tough gig because they are almost like the new Dortmund recently. They they get a good crop of players. Um, Nagelsmann has done a good job with them, and then they have to sell them because other people come buy them or, or trigger release clauses, and then you have to rebuild again. That's a that's a tough thing to do. But you know, Bittencourt's done quite well there. Yeah, I mean, I know you they've got Kramerich. You you quite like I quite like Demirbay and. You know they they have got an interesting little squad there. And yeah, 
been cause he's he's flitted around. He's had like you know three or four clubs in Germany, but he's still just 24, and you just you know, I'm not making a wild proclamation about the guy. You know, you have to you would have to actually watch the player as well, so I could back up the statistical, the early statistical analysis. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's far from beyond the realms of possibility that someone could actually you know improve and come into their own at, at this age. And um, yeah, one to keep an eye on, I think, really. Carlos Soler is also, I think, 11th on this list. And he was a guy that we really liked um, last year in the middle of the year. We flagged him as as a young player to, to watch. He's at Valencia currently. So keep an yeah. eye on that. He's just above Wilfred Yes Ndidi. Yeah, he just, indeed he always comes up with, when you give a run over the stats for just the sheer volume of kind of defensive statistics that he kind of he generates. Um, and I think... What was his Belgian season <laughs> when he, he was yeah, off, he's mad. Ma- just a huge standout, wasn't he? And it was just like, yeah, you can see why you take a chance on that guy, <laughs> young guy who's just crushing that league for defensive numbers. So, so we also have the the overall pressure. So not regains, but just got guys that are doing a lot of closing down. Um, now, the difference in this stuff is that we're not normalizing by possession, at least in these numbers. And when we say like adjusting for possession, which has been kind of a long term thing, that that introduced on the site god maybe 2014 or something like that the reason why you do it is because if your team always has the ball you have fewer opportunities to make defensive actions Uh, and this includes pressures which are a defensive action that that we record and the the leader in all of europe in (laughs) pressures per 90 is harry arter (laughs) yeah but harry arter's team only has the ball about 38 percent of the time (laughs) the number two is the one that jumped off the page number two is pretty interesting Because it's Thomas Lamar, and I think when he went to Madrid Atletico, there was there was a there was a kind of question mark as to like you know why he why he'd gone there specifically because he'd been touted as potentially going to all all the big British clubs I think English clubs, and um, yeah I mean you always you always feel with players like how how do they fit into Simeone's uh, setup and will it work for them I think we talked about Rodri quite recently and said like you know maybe it'll be a little bit of a challenge for him to settle in but straight away you can see here and like I say this list of players is mainly through players on smaller teams obviously don't have much of the ball so uh, players are required to do a lot of work he's playing for Atletico and he's uh, got the second highest amount of pressures in the in the big five leagues in Europe this season so what's he doing at Atletico the dude is working <laughs> it's true another name actually in uh, right at the I think he's 10th is uh, the ageless one, Glenn Murray. <laughs> but again, the problem with this is that Brighton only have the ball 40% of the time. So he gets a lot of chances to close down people, not necessarily actually winning the ball back in, in useful ways. I think the one that jumped off me there was um, Alan for Napoli, because obviously he's, he's so he good. was playing the role that, um, that Conte's kind of playing for Sarri at Chelsea. So the idea that, you know, maybe these things are slightly related um he was another one that showed up in the very early young player scouting that we did not that we could ever buy him because you know i think he was at udinese at the time (laughs) yeah this is it these are these are your your top stars so so two more points on this we're not going to bore you guys to death by talking about charts although weirdly sky's been doing that on monday night football (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like really you guys are just talking about numbers can That's i mention, so mention that quickly because it was it was sky's pre-game thing was genuinely good last night yeah uh carragher was was doing they, they put up a list of stats and carragher was like not over concluding on anything but just highlighting something that was interesting like i think uh ross barkley's dribbles rate is just you know 
cratered, which is probably a good thing, you know, because he's not just running into dead ends and stuff. And they did a really good job on that. And then um, Gary Neville did a bit on Martial, which was genuinely excellent about like how he doesn't do make these runs in behind uh, that you'd want him to. And um, it, it, they they just they just kind of uh, put together a good a good storyline and kind of weaved stats in and out all in and out of it as well which is that wide forward it, segment was so good that i actually drugged my son into the room so that we could <laughs> talk about the ronaldo bit and like what happens there and we also talked about what the center forward should be doing there and how van nistelrooy actually didn't roll out of that so that yeah. he created more space and and it was actually like this amazing moment where where kieran and i who's nine uh, are, are like analyzing the game and like the way that you should play it. And then we did that bit with uh, with the um, Sterling De Bruyne bit too and, and about like when they turn on the Jets and they run full speed versus, you know, when you're just trying to, to sort of poke and prod and create. It was, it was a really good segment. And that's one reason why Monday Night Football is just for people that care about sort of smart football analysis is the best place to go. Yeah, not and to, here, not to rag on Mourinho again, <laughs> uh, but it just feel like a little bit of, Directed coaching would help in aspects of Man United. Yeah, and that that was also another thing where I didn't. I mean, I don't always agree with them. It's, they're smart, but you know, Neville says some things that I don't agree with. Often protecting people who are coaches, uh, especially at Manchester United, talking about Martial kind of falling out a bit or like not being first choice, and then not being first choice with France, which is fucking insane because like France has so many choices that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to be like one of the best players in the world in order to be there. Martial's still what twenty two now. Um, yeah, I no, couldn't believe. I, I was genuinely surprised he was, he was just twenty two, and it's like, oh my god, that you know, he's he's still extremely young. Really, he was bought so young. Mm. Uh, his, his profile wasn't the same as Mbappe at the same age, but he was still really good and one of the best young players in Europe at that time. So, I mean, they did overpay for him, but yeah, he was still like very promising, and he's filled most of his promise. The thing that the care pointed out on that segment was that he was surprised that Martial, if you if you normalize for the minutes has been as good as almost any of the wide forwards in the Premier League, at least yeah, in the scoring yeah. stats. Yeah, and the thing that they noticed uh, as a to his detriment, they felt, was uh, um, his, what was it, his kilometres run, his distance covered, which, again, needs a little bit of uh, a review. But again, I don't think they, 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 they were too heavy about that or, you know, kind of made a, a horrifically faulty... Uh, you know, reflection on it, which which is the kind of thing that you can easily do with those kind of stats. So it was interesting. So um, the next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and, and this is kind of like just a, a scroll through being a little tentative in how you use, use stats. Like, so we've got the XG buildup numbers for the top five again in in Europe, uh, James has put together. And uh, <laughs> one, two, three, five, Six, seven are all Manchester City players. <laughs> you know who's who's four though, Ted. Who's four? It's that man Bittencourt. It's Bittencourt. It's true. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> someone someone go and watch Bittencourt and tell me what's going on. <laughs> well, anyway, and, and, so like often with with build up, you have to be really careful. It's interesting inside of the same team. But teams that have a lot of possession and sustained possession, like their players are just going to rack up a ton of this. So like you have to be careful about how you use it. And this is one thing that you know we consistently talk about. Um, right after Kyle Walker, um, it, so I guess that's seventh, is Chiellini at Juventus. Uh, again, center back's opening play. And then Gendozi, which I was surprised by. Um, <laughs> it's probably this yeah. blooming game last Monday night where Arsenal were brilliant. It's just boosted all their stats. Sure. Suso's <laughs> on there. Neymar's on there. Trent Alexander-Arnold, pretty interesting. 
uh, Bernardo Silva. Like Manchester City's like almost ten of this top twenty list that you put yeah, together. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, the, the, it'd be interesting to look at this as just like the the, the top one or two players per team, but. Well, I, I did this back when we when we first put together the build up stats, and uh, it was it was one to realize how good Boateng is at opening play as well. Um, so the the final stuff that we've got here is the expected goals plus ex- expected assists, like we kind of call it scoring contribution. Um, I feel like you know right now if if we had musical rights, like you, who runs the world, and uh, it feels like you know we've been creeping towards this, but there's a new king out there. Yeah, and we've—I think we've touched on this before. It's it's your boy Mbappe. I did not expect him to be at that point, right? Like he's he's leading by a lot now. He hasn't played a ton of minutes. You have to be careful about that. But like, yeah, it, it used to be Ronaldo and Messi are the guys that lead this stat, and they usually lead this stat by a lot. Uh, Neymar had a year where he basically was Messi uh, when Messi was out, part of it, and he was like super intricately related to everything that was going on at, at Barcelona. And they, they were just impossible to mark because you basically had both sides and then Suarez in the center. It was, it was awesome. Um, Mbappe is leading this by a good bit. And then the second place guy is Aguero. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about him last last week as in relation to this and, you know, how, how good a season he's having. But, yeah, I mean, uh, to, to throw quickly back to Mbappe, like... They'll always be said, oh, you know, he's just playing for a dominant team. The big players always play for dominant teams. They yep. always rack up the numbers. They always crush the, the bad, the, you know, the bad teams. And, you know, he's still got to do that. You know, he's, st- he's still, look, he's ahead of Neymar, you know, in in, in the stats on this. Um, By Cavani's, a lot. Cavani's a, a fair way back as well. You know, he's looking like the star contrib- contributor in this in this team at the moment so we're going to run through the top 10 of this because this is expecting core scoring contribution across europe so these are the best scores you know smallish sample size still like all of these guys have have 500 plus minutes but like we're not sort of deep into the season but like it's mbappe first by a, a decent chunk at 1.28 uh then aguero uh ronaldo at a very dominant juventus team neymar salah and then Memphis. Memphis is sixth place in all of Europe in expected goals and assists. Uh, just ahead of the, that Lionel Messi guy. Borja is on this list from Espanyol, who, as we noted, La Liga is weird, and they are way up the table at the moment. And they're actually sort of pretty good. Alaves looks like they're, they'll are they fall back, but, but Espanyol has been good. Dries Mertens and Milik. Nice to see Milik recover from, from all the knee injuries that he's problem had, uh, all knee problems he's had. And then Lewandowski is uh, is sort of rounding out the top ten there. So yeah, he must have you know, come forward a little bit. I thought he was he was behind, but yeah, I mean, you look at that, you look at these lists as we do with Tanzu. Are the right players on this list? Yes, they are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and it's we checks always, out. We're intrigued by cohorts, right? Who's around yeah. you in a list of a particular stat? That often teaches you some stuff. Um, so it's pretty cool. And yeah, Mbappe's the real deal. Aguero as having. Uh, Almost a, an historic season to start. We'll see how, how well that continues. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Thanks for putting these together, James. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> we'll, we'll find some more content for another week. But that's all right for now. I think we're done, Ted. We've covered all the things we were going to. As they say in show business, that's a wrap. Okay. See you next time. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>